Hello and welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly podcast with April Lee Janes and Jessica Outram. Welcome to episode six of season two. Uh, we're excited to be here today to continue with our book study of Learning by Heart by Karita Kent and Jan Stewart. And today we're going to look at chapter two, and it's all about looking, nurturing, and developing ways of seeing. It's one of the most important practices any artist or writer can engage in, and, and it's really where all the magic begins. So today we do our deep dive into looking. Hi, April. How are you today? Well, I was feeling a little frazzled before you and I started talking before we got on air and just spending some time with you and that creative energy just really helps bring that down and makes me happy to be here again. I'm getting ready for a visit with my daughter who's arriving next week. I haven't seen her in almost two years. And then I got a trip back to Toronto to start my training sessions again now that COVID is kind of receding a bit. So I'm busy prepping for that. And I'm not finding it hard to get my studio time in, but I keep telling myself I've got all winter to paint. So just uh, relax, do what needs to be done today. And that's kind of where I am right now. This is where I have to be. This is what I do. And then I move on to the next thing. But beautiful fall weather and my favorite time of the year. So that's that's perfect. Mm-hmm. How about you? So nice. Well, same. I, I I was really feeling invigorated by our chat this morning. So for our listeners, April and I had a little business meeting prior to recording today's episode, and we talked about everything. We talked about our social media and the website, and, you know, we even started talking about season three. So there's all the stuff that happens on the air, and then there's all the fun stuff that happens off the air. Um, I, I'm finding that my life is just really exciting right now. And I'm having trouble keeping up with myself, April. Uh, There's a lot going on. I'm very busy at work. I'm working on my chapter book, which is exciting. Uh, I've got so many wonderful writing adventures to tell you about when we check in in future episodes, because this fall, I've attended the Kingston Writers Festival and gone away for the weekend on a writing retreat, which was just a fascinating experience. I can't wait to share more with you in in future episodes because today we really want to start jumping in because looking is such a big idea and we don't want to miss out on any of those conversations about looking. So if, if we start with the word looking, I'm wondering what does that mean for you? And and when you first read this section, what, what jumped out at you? Well, looking has always been a huge piece of my art because it's a visual art right but I think I even started back when I was writing because description was a huge part of my creative writing so that involves looking too but I when it hit me the hardest or not hardest but strongest maybe is a good word when it hit me the strongest of how vital this was and what a wonderful skill it is to have to learn to look is when I realized that it helps me remember the things that are important to me When you sit down to do a sketch or a contour drawing or anything like that, you are really taking in whatever it is you are looking at. And it means you're not operating on autopilot. You're not saying, oh, I know what a hand looks like. You're really Mm -hmm. looking at how the knuckles work and and how if there is there a lean to one of your fingers? Is there how do the nails fit onto the fingers? I mean, there's things you notice that you just take for granted because that's who we are as adults, right? We get busy and we stop looking at the things the way a kid looks at them. 
and because then everything is new and if we can get ourselves back to that what i i know a lot of people talk about beginner's mind that's what the looking i think really starts with is that beginner's mind and practicing our art whether it's writing or or drawing helps us recapture our delight in the world that we had as kids so i love this topic of looking what about you jessica well, as you were talking, it reminded me, and I've probably told this story before, and I'll tell it again. It's one of those ones I, I tell all the time about my <laughs> friend Tom. And Tom is a beautiful uh, photographer who lives up in the community where my parents live. And he would take pictures of this, the, the landscape there. And he helped me see the land that I knew so well in a different way. And I always come back to that story because it was, it was absolutely life-changing for me to understand how much I've missed by looking at things instead of looking into things and to link it back mm -hmm. to what you said about children and how they're, they're so good at looking. It's the curiosity that they bring into things and the questions that they bring into things. And I think we lose a lot of that as we grow older. And when I talk about art, I'm including all of it, right? I'm including art, literature, dance, yeah. music. So when I talk about art, capital A, it does not come from our thinking, but it comes from our responding and the responding that all begins with seeing. And I've been practicing a lot ever since I read this book years ago and met people like Tom, I've been practicing looking at things until they become something different. So you're looking at, at things to really see them. I'm looking at them and, and it's almost like a meditative state where you're watching and watching. Like right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at the leaves on the plant that's right on my desk here and I can just look at it and look at it. And if you look at it long enough, it changes somehow the energy of it, the shape of it, the, the interplay between the light and shadow. This has resulted that part of my creative work then has shifted from that intense focus on craft, although that's also important, but really practicing how to see and how to see in a slow way. And she talks about this in the chapter here, that importance of slow looking versus fast looking and really taking things in. So this is a big section. It is. And you know, this this fast looking versus slow looking. I always think of the photos that I take that I use as reference photos. And we'll talk a lot more about that in the next chapter about sources. But I, I resent having the camera between me and what it is I want to take in. And yet the camera is how I need to capture it to take it back to work on in the wintertime in my studio. So I'll often take the picture, but then I will stop at that point and let my eyes take it in. And I see too many people snap a picture, move on to the next thing, snap a picture, and they're never there where where their eyes can actually feed their brain, which is what we're doing with this. I mean, you see it in uh, people that are on vacation and they're behind the video camera constantly taping and never engaging with the rest of the family. I've seen that happen so often. We We all, as adults, we really need to slow down and say, oh, look at that, whatever and study it. And when you were talking about looking at the thing on your desk, I'm sitting here looking at a glass of water and saying, yeah, I assume I know what a glass is, but when I look at it this way, there's an ellipse at the top and there's a bit of water and it's reflecting what's underneath it. 
and the, there's different shades of silver and darker colors so i can tell that it's in there and yet if i just walk by and say oh glass of water that would be all i'd see so mm. you know even if you're not a someone who is a, a who draws or, or paints or anything i really think it's worth your time to sit down and do some sketches no one else has to see them but it slows you down to really look at something Mm -hmm. No, I, and, and she's got this wonderful exercise in the book and I'm just going to read it out for our listeners. And this is something that you can come back to and you can even play it almost like a little bit of a meditation. And so this is right taken from the book. And so I want you to find a window right now, wherever you're listening, look out a window and notice a tree and look at the tree, notice its shape. Look at the part the leaves play in making the shape you see and look at the part the trunk and branches play in making the structure you see. Look for patterns made where the foliage is dense or light. Look for dark and light and other color changes that come about on the branches, leaves, which are all really all the same color, but change with the reflections of light. And then write every specific thing you see about the tree. Make a list of other things that you think are related in the structure to a tree, maybe an umbrella, a lamp, or a broom. And then she recommends getting past making labels for things and, and says that it's possible to combine and transform elements into new things by looking at things, noticing them until their import identity, name and use and description have completely dissolved. And that to me is the eye of a poet and the eye of an artist. And that's the eye that we need to train. Have you ever done that type of looking before? Yeah, all the time, because I'm looking at it saying, how does the light hit this tree? Where is the, where are the shadows in it? What are the highlights? How do the branches relate to the, what can I see of the branches? And, and because I love trees and this is a, in my art, I always like to play with that capturing of it. There's also, when she talks about getting past the labels, it reminds me of a, an exercise we used to do in a, a writing group I was in. And you had to walk around the room and touch an object and name it something else. So you <laughs> would touch the chair, but you'd say bed and you touch the lamp and say table. And it's hard to do, but when you finally get into it, you'd learn to drop the labels and you see the things differently. So that's an inter I think that would be an interesting extension to this one. Mm -hmm. And you and you can do it in your home too, right? So you don't even if you don't have a tree or you live in the city, um, you can look at that that interplay between the light and the shadows uh, in your home as well, just th through the light streaming through the window, or if it's evening, the way that your lamp reflects off of, of the plant, for example, it's yeah. And it, yeah. it doesn't have to be fancy. This is a strategy and a practice that everybody has access to anywhere. Uh, looking at that relationship between the object, the light and yourself and letting your gaze move from a hard gaze to a soft gaze to see, see what happens. And then I love in this section and, and she continues it throughout the book. She really stresses the importance of lists as a creative tool. And I mm -hmm. think that list making is wonderful. So get out your sketchbook, get out your journal, uh, whatever tool it is that you use, maybe it's a digital tool and, and make lists about what you see and what you hear and then connect in to each of your senses. 
And this is the kind of way that you can practice shifting the way that you see. And it has to be an intentional practice, like showing up to meditation. I, I don't know any artist or writer who has just, you know, woken up one morning with, with the eyes to see the world differently. It's, it's an intentional practice in a way of, of, of doing things. Um, when I first started writing, and you, you may have done this when you were writing, and maybe you do it when you, when you sketch, but I did a lot of taking my notebook and going to coffee shops, you know, that's kind of a stereotype, isn't it? And sitting there and recording what I saw. And that was a form of practice, wasn't it? That, that being there, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, taking in the, the, all the smells and the sights and sounds and, and documenting them. And it was that easy. And some things became other things. And sometimes it was just for the sake of the practice. There are no coffee shops, unfortunately, in my area anymore. But when I lived back in Ontario, I would go down to the coffee shops all the time and sit with a sketchbook. And you, you have to be careful how you do it, because if you're staring at someone for too long, they get a little nervous of you. But it just <laughs> made you sketch faster. And, you know, but it it just made you see things in, a, in the relationships and the different ways you're doing it. She did have one quote in here that I really, I loved it. I love the irony in, in it, reading it, because it said, no amount of reading about looking can do it for you. Just do it. Mm, <laughs> and I love the irony love in that. that and the great advice. <laughs> there is an artist that I follow. And while we're talking, I'm going to have to look her up because I, I can't remember her name. She's in Montreal and she's a sketcher. And she does sketches of just stuff around her. She goes and sits in her car in a, you know, on, a, on the cold days in Montreal. She's known for this old wheelbarrow in her backyard that she sketches all the time. Her name is Shari or Shari, S-H-A-R-I, Blaukoff, B-L-A-U-K-O-P-F. And I really recommend looking her up because she just does these marvelous quick sketches. And she'll talk about it. She can't sit in her car too long because um, the paint will freeze. She works in watercolors. And so these are, she learned to look in a way that I just love, I, that's why I follow her. Cause I like the way she looks at things. Sounds wonderful. I'll have to check her out. I've not heard of her before. Yeah. Wonderful. There was also a piece in the, in the book here that I, when I read it, I thought, oh, this is so poetic, but it was true. And she says, mm -hmm. try looking the way a child looks as if always for the first time and you will i promise feel wider awake than since than since you yourself wound your own way home from the back of the house to the front and mm. i just i loved that and learning to look like children look that's a skill that, and a practice like you said it's a habit we have to redevelop as adults nothing wrong with autopilot if we didn't go on autopilot we'd never get out of the house in the morning because we'd have to think about how to put on our shoes and take a shower and comb our hair and all of those things but every once in a while we really need to stop and be mm -hmm. in that moment there's a great um jason mraz song called be where your feet are and yes, i just you mentioned think that last that's week, what I... we're talking about here I yeah. still haven't listened to it yet. I need to listen to that one. And if any of our listeners are wondering, you know, well, how does a child look? I feel really disconnected from that. And maybe I'll put my educator hat on now, having worked with children for so many years and some good questions to ask them when you're anywhere with them. It could be any moment is just say, what do you notice? Just It's that simple. What do you notice? And then another great question to ask them is, what do you wonder? And then really listen to what it is that they have to say. And they're going to shift the way that you, you see the moment that you're in. 
and really listen to their to the answers don't don't explain don't don't have anything to add to it just listen to the answers and i know those are great questions that start with what any question mm -hmm. that starts with what leads to a deeper conversation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you can you could ask you can ask that of anyone right what do you notice what do you wonder yeah. right now as we're talking yep. i notice that the dog next door is barking a lot just outside my window here and what do i wonder well i i wonder is bailey that's the dog's name wanting to go inside is she hungry is there a fox in the yard i don't know i've got so many questions <laughs> well and here's the th I, one of the things she talks about is open curiosity right yeah. but that made me wonder what's closed curiosity i i always do this my husband will say oh look they sell natural honey and i'll say what's unnatural honey you know <laughs> it's always like let's take the flip side and see what we learn right so she wrote about open curiosity which is what children have mm. it's like they're they're not shy about it right it's just out there and why and what did this do mom and and why is the sky blue and then you know so i'm thinking what's closed curiosity is there really such a thing i think and there is I'm a well, I, but i'm gonna make up an answer can i make up an answer or do you have an go answer ahead, go for it well i, I well i know what i think but i'd like to hear yours well i'm just you know when you said that i thought to me closed curiosity is thinking that i even know what question to ask that I don't, you know, we, 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 we've got to be humble enough to recognize that the way we see the world is so ingrained in us that we often don't even know what those questions are that we need to ask to open up, to shift to a different way of seeing. And uh, one of the ways that she shifts some of that is by saying, you know, look at spaces instead of objects. And I wonder, you know, I would think if, if we're talking about looking today, my attention is going to be focused on all of the objects. That's that's me thinking, oh, I'm being open. This is open curiosity. But I wouldn't have landed on looking at the spaces instead of objects without her guidance throughout this book. So my curiosity is actually closed. Does that make sense? Am I just making stuff up? No, because I, I mean, this is, I'm not even sure if, if it, it, maybe it's a, what there's a word when two, two words don't even match up like you know they say you know military intelligence what there's a word where they where people say those two don't belong together and maybe closed curiosity doesn't because curiosity implies being open mm. but i'm thinking you're onto something because to me it felt like that default state that as mm -hmm. adults we just unconsciously assume we know what the answer is as we ask the question and so we're not open to exploring what might be a different answer it's why sometimes it's more powerful to bring someone in to solve a problem who knows nothing about what's gone on before because they look at it in a totally different way and so that would be open versus closed we, you touched on negative space there and i remember i took an art class in university and i wasn't i hadn't taken any art before because it was nothing in the high school that i had that was available to me and the professor in one of the first or second classes started talking about negative space. And mm. I totally could not get my head around that. It's like, I just don't understand what you even mean by the negative space. And I was really having a hard time with it. I wasn't open. It was very closed. I'm going to learn art, but I was close to what he was trying to explain to me. Now I find that if I'm having trouble drawing something, 
I can't get the shape right or whatever. I stop looking at the shape and I look at the shapes around it. Mm. And that when I, by drawing them, I find the truth of the thing that I'm actually trying to draw. So, mm. which sounds like a very deep, you know, kind of Zen thing, but it's true, you know, that you, you if you look beyond it, you find yep. what it really is. Well, you know, and the spaces can help us understand where connections are made and free us from those assumptions. She recommends, you know, about drawing a chair and saying, you know, it's no longer something that you need to sit on. Its purpose now is to serve as a boundary for your interest. So even to think about why we're drawing something as simple as a chair that, you know, are, are we drawing, we, we're not going to sit on the chair, it's, it's, this is now the boundary, and then how are we going to use that and explore that through an image, or if I were to describe a chair in a poem, um, in poetry, in particular, things represent other things, so it's no longer something to sit on, even in a poem, and what is its purpose now, it's, yeah. it's that boundary for my interest, and through looking at the objects and the spaces, and really digging into relationship, because to me, that's the core of all of this, is relationship, you can see the movement, you can see the connections, and it reminded me when I was doing my master's work, I did a lot of uh, my focus was on arts informed re research. And one method of arts informed research that anyone can do, it's fascinating. It's called the mixang approach, and it's a way of contemplative photography. It's absolutely uh, a wonderful thing. And what it does is it has you take pictures um, of very focused small things so it might be the doorknob on a door or a tile floor tile or it might be um, taking a picture of a wrapper left behind on a table so you're taking very focused almost like through that viewfinder exercise that's also in this chapter these very small things and through those those um what you notice you are you are telling a story in this way um, and it's a way of seeing from the heart. It's a way of feeling your way through the pictures. And it's anytime something visually resonates with you. So um, I had one friend who was in that program, and I don't know if she was intentionally using mixing or if it just happened, but she was posting every time she went somewhere, she was taking a picture of the floor tile. Um, where she was sitting, waiting for any appointment, the doctor, the dentist, uh, you know, waiting in line to get into a grocery store when we had lineups, and there would just be, you know, a, a, a very focused small photo of the ground where she stood. And it really communicated a lot in those those small places. So it's 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 about thinking, it's about space, and about that indirect perception. Because as soon as we start thinking about something, your, your, your process of perception is over. So it's just that initial, this caught my eye and I'm going to take a picture. What me also makes me think of is that the labels and removing the context helps us get rid of the label too, because we look at it mm. differently. We look, the thing, the smaller thing itself becomes the context, not the bigger, not the doorknob becomes the context rather than the whole door. Yes. Um, and, and then the beauty of that as a writer, just to bring this back to, because I'm, I'm trying to, throughout the podcast, link things back to my experience as a writer. And, and the beauty of looking at, at things that way is it provides you with more detail and more depth and connects into more of your senses. And, and by practicing that, 
when I go and I sit down to write and I'm creating a scene, I have more sensory details to draw on. And uh, that doorknob might become a very important piece of somebody's anxiety or joy. Uh, it could go either way, excitement uh, for going through that door. And the doorknob then becomes this beautiful detail within the story around that moment before you open a door into a new experience. It's interesting. I While I was cleaning up my studio, I came across a binder where I had a lot of my writing in. Yeah. And I started, I sat down and started reading some of it. And I had described a window. And now it started me on a series of windows that I want to paint mm. and starting to gather material for that. But I also remembered that I, I love mysteries. I love mystery stories. And I've came across something that I had started and I'm actually looking at possibly expanding it again and going back into that side of my creativity. And I remember Dorothea, I think it was Dorothea Helms, whom we both know, talked about starting with the doorknob, opening the door and stepping into the room and mm -hmm. how much that plants someone in the scene. And, you know, and I'm thinking with the, with the crime mystery, I mean, the doorknob could be quite to see that in the book. I, I, I'm, I'm not quite getting to what I want to say, but I just know that it's a form of looking that we give to our readers when we write. Mm -hmm. And, and where are we I gave back to myself attention? at the windows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. And she says, art comes not from thinking, but responding. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of what we want as writers and, and as artists, we want our audience to respond. If we don't respond to it, how do we expect them to respond to it? We had some art pieces that were put into a particular place. And one of the artists told me that before we opened that they had put pieces they didn't particularly like into the sale. They just wanted to get rid of them. And I'm not surprised at the end of the summer, he hasn't sold anything mm. because if you don't feel anything about them, how are we expecting the viewer to respond positively? And mm. isn't there's a writer that says no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. We need those. We need to be in that piece by looking deeply at it. So the audience gets curious and comes along and says, what are you looking at? You know, and wants to see it with us. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think that, uh, and that, that is a, that's a key thing. If you take nothing away from this book, take this art does not come from thinking, but responding. And that's the relationship. Yeah. It's all about relationship and it's about you. And that's why no one can create what you can create because you are different. I am different. Each of us mm -hmm. is different. And, that, and, and when you engage in a relationship with something in your garden, something in the world, um, an idea, when you engage with that, then you are lighting that up and bringing it to life. And that is you responding. And that's why no one can tell a particular story the way that you can. And, and, and that's why you're, you're important listener. That's why, you know, you need to continue creating because no one can do what you can do. So you need to respond as you, not as someone else, but from who you are and what excites you or what scares you or what, um, what questions that you have. And if you follow you, 
<laughs> through the lens of connecting and developing that relationship, that is where the magic happens. So it's not all about the thinking. It's it's letting go of the thinking. It's surrendering yeah. and just engaging in relationship with the world around you and being alive. I don't think there's a whole lot to add to that. Um, I just like to know now what you played with this past week and where that took you on your personal mm. journey because that's what we're talking about is personal journeys well i you know i i've been so busy at work it's been hard for me to find the deep creative time but i did a lot of thinking about emily carr and went back and looked at some of her work and wondered you know she was someone who was uh caught up in in painting the way her colleagues were painting initially right mm -hmm. these very um beautiful landscapes but she decided that they the, the painting didn't match the what she was seeing when she was you know in the middle of the, the forest for example and so yeah. she shifted her work to create this thing called a, a unity of movement to better create what she saw right and so then i started kind of down i go down these little wormholes sometimes looking at art through time and thinking about you know how does this relate to my writing and thinking about the shifts in how people saw themselves in the world around them right and you go through either you're looking in art or you're looking in literature we go through like if we start even through the romanticism there was a lot of that that writing about what you saw um, and some pieces around nature, but it was kind of flat. Then, you know, then it became a bit more spiritual. Then there was, you know, you move into realism and there's this radical honesty and it's almost raw. And like, I'm going to try and shock you with what I, what I see. And you can see the history of seeing through the art and literature movements, which yeah. I find just fascinating. And so today, I wondered, and I don't have the answers yet, so maybe listeners can help me with this because I've got to still follow the thread, is, well, then what, what are we defined as today? What is it that we're seeing today? What is the lens that we're seeing things through? And, you know, in 100 years from now, what will people look back on 2021 and say, this is the, this is the lens through which people saw the world. These are the biases that they have. We all have bias. 100%. We all have a way of seeing and, and a focus, even if we're trying to, I don't want to be like this, but I want to be like this. And we're all making choices all the time. So that's, I kind of, that was me. I, I was playing with the idea of it all and got just sucked into this philosophical debate with myself around the history <laughs> of seeing through art and literature. So <laughs> I wish I had something a little more concrete to share, but it was one of those weeks where, you know, I was all up in the clouds. <laughs> how about, I was how about nowhere you? near as philosophical as you. Oh my gosh. What I played with was I just started looking really closely at the flowers in my garden because I've been painting a lot of flowers. And there's a particular one that's right by my front door that attracts all kinds of bumblebees and it just came into bloom it's a, a fall flowering flower and um it just started to bloom and i when i walked by it i noticed there must have been about a dozen bumblebees on this thing and so then i really got looking at them and realized that one had totally different markings than all the other ones and he had this little orange or she had this little orange stripe on across her back so i went online that rabbit hole to find out more and i discovered it's called an orange belted bumblebee a bombus mm. ternarius 
Ooh. which I just love because now I'm, I'm, I call her Bombas when I see her because oh. I know that bees are <laughs> bees are faithful to the flowers as long as they are blooming they will keep coming back so I'm sure it's the same little bee I keep seeing there she just seems really personal and individual and I've I've kind of taken a a a shine to her, I guess. She feels like this little friend now. And I would never have noticed her if I hadn't been looking closer. And it gives me a little more material to work with now when I paint bees. I can paint one that's slightly different from the others. So that was kind of where I went with that and uh, just spent a little more time for looking. So probably one of the biggest tips I would give our listeners this week is really just forget the labels and the things you look at. Be like I was bending over that flower, checking out all the bumblebees and like, oh, look, there's a different one. And get curious about what you're seeing. Look for those differences. Don't get caught up in the shorthand of assuming that you know what something looks like. My daughter gave me an amazing fact when she majored in biology university. And she told me that human beings are 99.9% identical in their genetic makeup. So our differences lie in this tiny 0.1%. But look how many differences there are in there. None of, there's very few of us that look alike. I mean, we all do have our little doppelgangers. But I found that amazing that there was this, just that tiny bit makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And the one other thing I wanted to add was that see everyday things as art. Your your idea of, of that, um, okay, wait, let me get the name right here. Got to go back up here. Miss Mixang approach to yeah. look closely at things. Mm -hmm. um, there are manhole covers, which sounds like a weird thing, but manhole covers in Japan are exquisite works of art. And mm -hmm. I only discovered this fact because I went to a quilt show and the woman who was presenting had been inspired by the covers to make all these small quilts. Beautiful. And I'm going to include a link in the playlist because these manhole covers are gorgeous and I, the Japanese excel at making art just part of life and their everyday mm. things and we can do that too. And I think that's an important piece, not just looking, but um, where can I make more art in my own life, make it part of my everyday. Mm -hmm. So what tip do you want to share with our readers or tips? Well, I first I want to say there's no right way to do this book study and you yeah. can read it like I did and get all lost in the in the ideas and uh, start thinking that way. Or uh, you could do it the way I dream that I would do it. This is when we first started this. My dream was to do the assignments in the book because all throughout the book, almost every other page, she's got an assignment. And I thought, yes, I'm finally going to get to dig in and actually do the assignments in the book. So far, chapter two, I'm failing on that front. Um, I'm getting engaged in the ideas. I'm reflecting on the ideas. I feel in my own little way I'm putting them into practice, but I'm not fully committed to the assignments yet. And that's something I'd really like to improve on. And also just to let our listeners know, if you have also not done any of the assignments, you are not alone. I am with you. <laughs> not by any means. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe, maybe as the weeks progress, I'll get more into actually, because the assignments are wonderful. So just start small when you're doing any sort of a book club or, or trying to do this time of work, you know, um, it doesn't have to be big grand gestures. It doesn't have to be all encompassing, all encompassing. I've read this book dozens of times. I've worked through it for over 20 years and it's, it's 
a wonderful book that you are going to keep coming back to, I think. So uh, wherever your entry point is, it's good. When you're exploring yeah. the ideas or when you're creating, I think, and you're, you're trying to, to be better at looking, the best advice that I have is just surrendering to that moment. And she says, nothing is the same. No thing is the same. And I think that that's a powerful thing to think about that even, you know, she uses the example of dandelions that no two dandelions are alike and to be open to seeing that and to seeing the personality in each dandelion uh, when you're having that focus practice for, for that. And I think the other, the other pieces is, you know, a lot of the examples throughout the book are really looking at art because she was an art school teacher but we can engage in these ideas through uh, music and literature as well. So when we're listening to a piece of music, it's fascinating to me to think about the spaces between the notes and what do they do for the song that you're listening to and how is the musician using the spaces between the notes in order to create an effect. The other thing that can be really wonderful to look at when you're looking at literature is looking at, the, the, again, the spaces between the words, the way that the paragraphs are organized. Um, when we're talking about poetry, I think about someone like Emily Dickinson, who uses a lot of dashes and line breaks, and how is she using those spaces to create an effect? So um, we can take this idea of looking, and it can be how we engage with the world, but it can also be how we engage with our own work and how we engage with the work of others. So there's there's just so many possibilities for this one section, which is why the learning is, in my mind, that spiral learning, that piece where you're just going to keep coming back to looking again and again and again. And we're probably going to touch on it again and again as we continue down this path. So that's that those are my tips so I've included in the playlist a link to for you to learn more about the mixing contemplative photography approach I also included drawing on the right side of the brain by Betty Edwards and although that is a book for artists typically I was first introduced to it in a writing workshop where we used the ways of seeing in that book as a different way to look at how we're writing and so you can take her exercises that are throughout that book and you can extend them to your work as a writer. And it's, it's, it really opens up the world to you. First, I just want to say thank you for the huge permission to everybody, including myself, about the exercises. I usually manage to get into one of them and maybe not even do it the whole way. So full disclosure here too, it's time sensitive, right? Right now I want the ideas because I've never really read this book cover to cover this in this depth. And so I'm, for now I'm capturing those ideas and saying, okay, how does that change what I'm doing? Am I already doing this? How can I do it deeper? Those kinds of things. And I think those are good questions to ask ourselves along that. Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain is a brilliant book. And one of the things I do when I'm teaching someone to draw is one of the things she suggested, which is to flip something upside down and draw it upside down because your brain can't label it. So I, I think it's a great book for those of you that are lear want to learn how to look differently. The piece that I'm putting into the playlist this week is an article with a lot of pictures about these Japanese manhole covers because they're just so beautiful. I wanted to share them with everybody. And um, I think it's a, just a reminder to look. Art is everywhere in our lives and pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't just wander through on autopilot, you know, 
we need really need this looking piece. So I think that's it. Next week we talk about sources. Yeah, can't wait. See you then. Take care. Hey there, April here at the end of this episode about looking and engaging with the world around you. Jessica and I really want to encourage you to spend some extra time this week and practice that idea of really looking at something, whether it's to see the details around it, how the light falls on it and create shadows, or to spend some meditative time with it, as Jessica suggested, to see if something actually changes for you in it. Really encourage you to turn off the autopilot this week, spend some time being a kid again, and get curious about the world around you. Because as they say in the book, art comes from responding, and it all begins with seeing. So practice that this week. Even if you don't have time for the other exercises in the book, you always are using your eyes. So take some time to really look and have a great week. You can find more podcast episodes and today's playlist at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. And you can learn more about our creative work at our individual websites. So you can learn more about me, Jessica, at sunshineinajar.com and more about April at aprillyjanes.com, A-P-R-I-L-L-E-J-A-N is in November, E-S.com. If you have any hummingbird questions for us to explore, we invite you to let us know at thehummingbirdpodcast.com.